Turn to 1 Corinthians 6. Let's look at another heresy. Christians cannot solve their own problems, but they need to go to court. The Corinthians were doing this, and let us read this. And I'm going to give you a panoramic view of scriptures that tell you uh, how to settle a difference. Chapter 6, the Corinthians were in love with the courts. They, it was a way of Athenian life. They went to court all the time. Uh, the, uh, the Jews did not. Jews went uh, to the synagogue or they would go to uh, village elders. But the Greeks had a fanaticism about going to the courts. I mean, they were constantly... Uh, into the courts. Uh, If you ever read any background on it, uh, there's some good studies by William Barclay on the background of the Greeks loved suits. They loved to bring arbitration. Even on the least defense, if Lockwood and I had a a beef, uh, the way they would do, the way it was prescribed in Athenian Greek culture was to, uh, well, I'll meet you tomorrow. You bring uh, an arbitrator I'll bring an arbitrator. And then between us, we had to agree on a third person that was supposedly the neutral. uh, And we'll come together and we'll hash this out in court. And this was, uh, uh, went on, it was a way of life. It was a a way of life. Aristophanes one time saw a map of Greece and he said, it cannot be Greece. I see no lawyers. Uh, I, I read something here. Uh, that, that Warren Wearsby said, uh, was talking about the United States is rapidly getting a similar reputation. Over 200,000 civil suits were filed in federal courts recently in a 12-month period, and I'm sure these stats are out of sync. Nearly one million lawyers, and their number is increasing are now operating in the United States, one million. In one year, more than 12 million lawsuits were filed in state courts, 12 million. So be sure you don't hit anyone in our parking lot if you were a Greek. If any of you has a dispute with another, dare he take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the saints? Do you not know that the saints will judge the world and will pick up this judge not that you be not judged? You remember that little phrase, judge not that you be not judged. Now he's telling them to judge because you're going to judge saints and you're going to judge rather angels and you're going to judge the world. And if you are to judge the world... Are you not competent to judge trivial cases? And they were cases having to do with property, uh, clothes, money. uh, They weren't criminal things. The church is never allowed to solve criminal cases. That's for government. They bear the sword, Romans 13. This isn't talking about, well... I, I just killed my mother-in-law and it won't ever, we're Christians, let's don't take it. To, no, no, that's criminal. We're talking about trivial kinds of issues. Do you not know that we will judge angels? Don't you find that an astounding statement? Did any of you know that before? Is this the first time you've ever heard of it? You will be in on judging angels and I'm assuming as we sit with Christ and watch him reign and judge will be there as his cohort, as his bride, and I think primarily will be witnesses and affirm Christ's judging, but we're included here some way. How much more the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, appoint as judges, even men of little account in the church, And many uh, commentators think he's being sarcastic. Since they're small cases, small issues you're squabbling about, and and he's just tongue-in-cheek, why don't you just get an insignificant guy in the church? It'd be a lot better to do that 
than going before an unjust, ungodly judge to settle differences between brothers. That's, and so it's kind of insignificant issues, get insignificant people and being sarcastic about it. I say this to your shame. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? Do do you see the word judge? Have you ever heard the verse, judge not that you be not judged? How can they both be true? And I'm going to go back to and give a quick view of Matthew 7 again because I am sick and tired of it being abused. I'm going to show you again what it means, I think. But instead, one brother goes to law against another, and this in front of unbelievers. It's like a wife always telling mixed company what's wrong with her husband. Can't you do that in private? Mixed company deserves a certain amount of hypocrisy. Be quiet about their faults before others. The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you have been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and do wrong, and you do this to your brothers. Let's establish some uh, operating criteria here. We understand God is the judge of all. And that God has uh, expressed his will and his divine legislation so that we, as his people, we don't write the rules, we follow them. Right? And, And so we have to use God's dictionary about what we don't understand or what we should do. God's legislation. So we're following divine legislation when he says, Settle difference among yourselves. And even if it comes down that you take a loss because you're dealing with a brother, rather take the loss than to go before the ungodly, the unjust, and he's saying unsaved people. I don't think he says the judicial system is ungodly because he's going to commend it in Romans 13. But, but be, rather than to take your squabbling, before the unsaved that don't know the same God, don't claim the same Father, if you have to take the loss, take the loss. Rather than take the case outside the church. So he clearly is saying that among ourselves, we should settle our own disputes when there are differences between believers and they can't get it resolved Should it not be possible to go before elders, deacons, uh, those that you would consider godly and mature, have some kind of wisdom to call it and resolve it? That's what he's arguing for. And uh, obviously they were not. And so here are a people claiming to be super wise. Uh, They're beginning to struggle with the message of the cross. Uh, but they claim superior knowledge, superiority in gifts, but they don't know how to settle disputes among themselves. Big question. Have you ever seen churches that didn't know how to settle their own disputes? Have you ever seen in the paper, someone sues the church? Uh, Even a church discipline thing, we have a form on our church discipline thing that you promise you won't sue us if we discipline you. I'm not sure to hold up in court, but we could at least call you a liar if you do it. Why? Because we had a case back in the Midwest where a member sued the church and disciplined them, and it went a step further. How dare you deal with me over my sin? I'm going to sue you, and, and they won their suit. The civil court stood with the person that sued the church, and they, they were punished so much money. So he's really saying, don't, don't do that. You're competent to judge among yourselves what is right, what is wrong. Keep your disputes among 
yourselves. And remember, that's what he said in chapter 5. In chapter 5 that we looked at last time, that he said, deal with this immoral brother. You're able to deal. Look at verse 12. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Clearly, God tells his people, you can discern right from wrong. You can discern wrong behavior. I started to uh, bring a, cut off a, a, a branch of my orange tree with some oranges on it. Just say, oh, would, you, would you call it for me? What is it? Oh, I can't judge. Come on, Dumbo. You judge all the time. See, we're being sold a bill. You take the uh, expletive that is used all the time. It goes like this. God damn you. Now, what is being done there? We've invoked the name of God to bring a bad consequence on someone, and it's just a locker room language. Has anyone ever been around it in the past week? So they're, they're, they're sentencing a man to hell. They're sentencing a man to divine judgment and do it in a normal conversation. And immediately if they hear anything about believers having any, boy, they're, they're not supposed to judge. Well, you just sent a man to hell. You damned him in the name of God. It's a way of life to judge, to sentence, to call people names with a penalty attached. We don't get to do that. He forbids it. We even suffer loss if need be. That's the Christian testimony. I know men that uh, in this church, people borrow money, and I've had them tell me this. I know if I loan money to a brother, two things. I don't want to charge them interest unless it's business and they're making a profit. Then I'd feel comfortable probably. But if it's personal need, I don't charge interest. And number two, I've got to be willing to lose it and not be bitter against them. Right? So don't ever loan over 20 bucks. Or count the cost. Um, we could give you a recommendation to some good friendly banks. I, I remember when I was going to Western Baptist College, uh, I started out in school paying $10 a unit. When I transferred to Western in my junior year, tuition had gone up to $27.50 a unit. And I was in my junior year, and I, I thought it was outrageous that they would charge that much for tuition. And I went in to see uh, Dr. Thiessen. I said, hey, I, I can't pay my tuition right now. And he said, fine. He just gave me an application to a local bank. He said, we don't make loans. I said, God sent me here. He said, I believe he did. I hope the bank agrees. He was brutal. Guess what? I came up with the money some way. I hated robbing that woman, but, it, you know, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, l- let us go back and just uh, look at some, man, I hope these things get edited before they go on the broadcast. Oh, be serving time. Uh, l- look at uh, uh, Matthew 7. We touched on this before. I want to just walk you through just enough because I'm fanatically wanting to take on everybody that uses this. Do not judge or you too will be judged. How many of you never judge anyone? Don't don't raise your hand. I I think you'd be lying. So what is he saying now? He's going to qualify. Don't judge. Don't judge. I think he's saying don't be critical in judgment or be censorious. Always critical, you know, critical spirit, that kind And then he begins to qualify what he means. Watch. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's a good measurement, isn't it? 
Evaluate them like you would evaluate yourself. Now watch. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Okay. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Now, that's good. He's really saying you're hypocritical judges because your problems are much greater than what you're being critical of. You've got a much larger problem in your life that you won't deal with, but you're nitpicking people with lesser issues. Isn't that what he's saying? The greater, the lesser. But notice, get what he says. Take care of the plank in your eye that you may ignore the brother with a speck in his eye. That you might do what? And, and what would you be able to do if you could see? I can't hear you. Somebody needs to get the speck out of their eye. It's not good. You know, I go to an optometrist. Don't be critical. Don't be critical. Don't see anything wrong with my eye. I'm paying you to do this. Wait, you've got a little speck of steel in your eye. My brother Paul nearly lost an eye doing a job, just nearly lost it. And picking the steel out of that eye was a tough job. No, the idea is if I can get whole and get my own outlook, my perspective whole, it's not that I won't see specks. I'll see specks, but notice, when I deal with my own life issues, when I see the speck, my response is not to be critical, it's to help you remove it. I see the glazed look. That's not illumination. It looks glazed. Do you understand it? I come to you with a problem. Well, I don't want to get involved. I'm walking with Jesus, and since he took the moat out of my eye, I can't see any other problems. So, I've got a speck in my eye. Could you help me? Do you see it? Yeah, I see it, but go see the pastor. Go see the pastor. He might be dealing with a plank problem right now. He may have had a good spat with his wife the night before. Does that ever happen? I, I never try to be with her on Saturday so I can be spiritual on Sunday. <laughs> you know, uh, and so here, uh, it's not that you won't see the speck, but when you've dealt with your life problem, You're not judging people that've got the speck. I'm willing to help you. The hypocrite in them, you've got a bigger problem. You're critical of other people's problems, and you won't won't offer an ounce of help to get them because you're too busy judging them to want to help them. That's what he's taking on. Then he gives an example of discerning judgment. Don't give what's good to the dog's or the swine, which is a graphic illustration, brutal. If anyone but Jesus said this, I would nearly throw it out of the Bible. But he said it. Beware when you're handing out answers that you're not dealing with people who will treat them like dogs and swine and just devour and trample under. Then he goes on down. Look at verse 13. Enter through the uh, narrow gate. For what, There's a wide gate. You want to go through the narrow gate? How can I do that without judging which gate? Don't I have to make a discerning kind of decision? Narrow, wide. I must be able to make that decision. I must be able to function judgmentally, not critically, but judgment in the sense of evaluating what's the truth, evaluating right or wrong. Okay, then it goes down in verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. Well, I can't, Lord. I've been told not to judge. I can't judge. 
So I couldn't call anybody false if they just claimed Jesus and looked spiritual. You wouldn't want me to judge a guy to see if he's false or right, would you? Well, he did. He did. How would you know with all these televangelists if they're false or true? God just told me you need to send me $1,000. If you'll sow this seed faith, I guarantee you'll get 10000 back or your mother-in-law will die. Why, look at there. You've got a word from God. No, he's a con artist. Call him a con artist. He's a lying thief operating in the name of the gospel. When will you start supporting your church and quit sending it to televangelists that are ripoff artists? Support a bunch of kids in volleyball madness. So I get amazed some of you folks, once you get money, you want to send it to something worthy. Why don't you give it to the church you go to? Or find a church you can support. I don't buy my groceries at Safeway and run down to Lucky's to pay the bill. You're so slow this morning. We need, you need, you, you've got a caffeine deficiency. I mean, the first service I call Sleeping Hollow. You're just preaching in their sleep. The youth guys have to act awake because they're on the staff. And we evaluate awake during the morning service. But look what he says here. What they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you won't know them. What does your say? You will recognize them by what their fruit, their activity. Do people get grapes from thorn bushes? No. Every tree that bears not good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Judge people by their activity, their action, their behavior, their fruit. Same thing. The fruit of their life. What's What's on display in their life? The fruit, the activity. Then he says, there will be people that will come to Jesus and they are so deceived in themselves, they try to convince Jesus that they know him. Even you can die in this church and be thinking you're going to heaven and you're going to come up before God and say, well, I attended Valley Bible Church. Uh, I looked pious on Sunday and uh, I knew a lot of Christian terms and language. Lord, Lord, I know you, don't I? And he said, I never did know you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Are people going to heaven that aren't doing the word of God? One person. Are people going to heaven that are not doing the will of God? My sheep will occasionally follow me. Here's another one. Go into all the world and make disciples. And if they don't want to be disciples, let them just be Christians. Because we got these two levels of Christianity. Well, I, I don't want to get that radical, you know, sell everything, hate mother and father and abandon. You know, that, this discipleship sounds like Jesus ought to be everything. I just want to go to heaven. I don't want him to be master and running my life. I just want to do him a favor and let him get me to heaven. My sheep follow me, and if you don't follow, and we don't see that fruit in you, you're in American nominal name it Christianity, and you're going to hell until you come to Christ, because church won't get you to church, and church won't get you to Jesus, unless you put faith in him. Be sure you're born again so that Christ could say, I know you. I called you by name. You've been following me, because I called you out from a world of sin. The new birth still works. If it's not working for you, you don't have it. You can't help following once you become his sheep. 
and all the sheep said, bah. I'm sick of what I see in American Christianity. It's nauseating. I, I tell you, I love how I grew up. I grew up in these little Pentecostal churches that only the elect would attend them. We were so radical, so fiery, talked about God, had so many prayer meetings, had so much temperature, and acted so wild at times, only the elect could attend. I see so many people come to church. It's a strain to amen. It's a strain to give in the offering. It's a strain to be there. You know why it's a strain? You're not a sheep. It's hard to follow someone you don't know. But when you know him, you can't get enough of him. And all the sheep said, amen. I'm going to just get a plaque. I'm just, I'll tell you when to say it. Amen. The monitor. Amen. You think I'm mad. I'm not mad. I'm trying to teach, but I am quasi-mad at all the malarkey. So don't make me madder. Look at verse 24, because I see lives being destroyed. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and is just praying over them is like a wise man. Or, or, or he's trying to decide on whether... Uh, no, no, no. He, he practices them. A wise man is known by his practice, not by his profession. We just dealt with a professing crowd. Lord, I know you. He said, I don't know you. Now, I said, let me tell you the folks I know, the folks who practice the words that I teach. And he concludes. He gives the fool, the wise, and then he says, at the end, the rain comes down, it falls. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed. But I, I rest too far ahead. Look, 26. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The people of God must judge. They must make discernment. They are pe- we can judge those who are doing the word of God and those who are not without being judgmental, being critical. We just can see the evidence. Faith without works is dead. True Christianity works. You can see. You know if they're following Christ. I want to look at, and I know this is a helicopter view, but I want to just show you the basis for the church dealing with issues within the church. Matthew 18. We'll, we'll let you ask questions and answers. When I get in these kind of subjects, I don't feel like preaching. I feel like just being down home, telling it, and let's discuss it. Is that okay? Because we're not afraid to think. And what do you say the text says? Look at Matthew 18. If your brother sins against you, hit him. What, is it, what does it say? Huh? Can't you folks talk? Can't you talk loud enough? I can't hear you. Go show him his fault. And many of you pray for that ministry. You can't wait. But show him his fault after you've told everybody else. Good, you at least get an antiphonal with me. Preach back, yell at me. Just between the two of you, ideally no fault between two believers ever goes beyond them. You see? says, hey, you know what? You offended me with what you did. Well, too bad. You wait until I tell everybody I know what you said. No, wait until I tell everybody how picky you are. No, 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 no. No, we take you serious. I didn't mean to run over your foot in the parking lot. Well, you did. We used to have a man who would do stuff like this all the time. He could offend uh, Terrible that he was a board member uh, and always be offensive in the meeting and just get out of line. And, and then 
uh, then later, oh, I'm sorry. Now, sometimes what you do on that is do what my brother said, my profound Union Hall brother. He said, the first time you run over my foot and ask for forgiveness, I will forgive you. The next time, I'm going to slug you before you hit my foot. And you know what? It worked out. He just seemed to catch on quick. There's some people that always melt to death that you'll forgive them. We do need to educate them to quit doing the things that are offensive, right? So you tell them. You tell them. We educate each other, right? That's what marriage is all about. Don't do that. That irritates me. Honey, I thought you loved me. I love you, but you still irritate me. Can I get a witness? Thank you, you dishonest, quiet saints. Okay. Uh, and then, so if he listens to you, you have won your brother over. Isn't that great? But if he will not listen, take one or two others along. This is the second step. So that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now, this does not mean take your wife and mother with you. This means you bring two credible witnesses, I would think, to the person that you've got the difference with and yourself, and they don't go to accuse the brother that you say has offended you. They're not going there to accuse. They're going there to witness. They're just going in there, and so the least they know, the better, as far as before. Bring two godly believers to show that you are trying to get reconciliation and work out this difference. And they're there in keeping with Jewish law back in Deuteronomy that I made the sincere, I'm making a sincere effort to work this out. And, and most likely the witnesses could add insight. But the idea is I'm serious about reconciliation so much that I would invite two other uh, credible witnesses to be there to see that I'm trying to work this out according to God's word. That's a beautiful thing. Christ anticipates that may not even work. So then he says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And and many times uh, telling it to the church, many churches, if they do it at all, they'll take it, tell it to the leadership, elders, deacons, and it may never go public. Uh, and some churches do that. And I think on many issues, probably ought to be settled at that level. Now, if something is widespread or has gotten out to a lot of the church, we often, as public as the sin, is as public as the restoration. And so we use the communion table uh, that if a believer has just, you know, got out there and they've, they've refused all efforts we may go public at times, but the idea is let the church and uh, many strong Baptist and congregational churches tell everybody. Uh, I, I, I would prefer the first step would tell church leadership and then let go from there, but notify the church somehow and try to turn them around and, and arbitrate. And if he refuses to listen to the church, Treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Put him out. Put him in the category of unbelievers. I don't think it says be mean. Just put him out. Leave him there. Do we pray for sinners? Are we to love tax collectors? We still love these people. We just put them in that category. If you won't come under the authority of the church, we're going to put you in that category, just like 1 Corinthians 5. Now, watch what he says. I tell you the truth, whatever you bind on earth, will have already been bound in heaven. It's a perfect tense in Greek. It's already been done. And whatever you loose on earth will have already been loosed in heaven. And that's a rabbinic phrase that says forgiveness, that the synagogue grant forgiveness. When you carry out the church, when you follow off these instructions, if you forgive, they're forgiven. If they're not forgiven, they're just not. They've been bound until they get right. Now, here's a great promise that's often misapplied. 
Notice this. Again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. And how is that most commonly used? Prayer. What's the context talking about? Church discipline. If two or three of you come together to obey my instruction about how to treat a brother that refuses to be reconciled or get forgiveness, if nobody else in the membership shows up but three people, you can guarantee Jesus will be there. I said, if nobody else shows up but three people, Jesus says, I'll be in the midst of this process. It's not a Salem witch burning. It's doing my word and taking care of my church, and I guarantee you I will be there in the meeting when all the rest of you want to stay home because I don't want to get involved. I only want a fuzzy service. I tell you, it scares me when I think, we had a business meeting one time. We were old Holy Ghost Hall. It was going to be a hot issue. I don't know which thousandth one it was. But, uh, you know, that night I knew it was going to get hot. And that's when we used to have public meetings and, you know, the, the sacred business meeting. And uh, I prayed about that meeting. And, you know, what we did, I just put out a chair right in the middle of the hall, right there on the stage. And I said, you know, we, we had a division on whatever the issue was. And I said, you know, tonight, speak whatever you want, but I want you by faith to realize that the church is Christ and he is the moderator of this meeting. And you better not say anything that offends him because he's the master of this church. He moderates the meetings of his church. Run your union hall any way you want. This is the church. Christ is the head of the church, not a union. And he has ways to cut your horns off and get you to act sheepish. Don't do anything that offends him. It was a wonderful meeting. I don't know if anyone spoke. (laughs) But it was. Because, hey, just fear God, right? The church isn't our playhouse. It's his house. Amen? Amen? One more, and then, and I'm over time. You know what? Tell them, ushers, in the parking lot, no sin during this series. Don't get mad because they don't have a parking space. It's my fault. I've got to show you Galatians 6, and then we t- uh, take an offering. And if our offerings drop on this, I'll know it be you won't respond to the teaching. So we're going to count the offering before we let you go today. Uh, look at uh, Galatians 6. Brothers. If someone is caught in a sin, gossip. I was amazed. I grew up in holiness circles, but I, I never saw church discipline, but I sure knew there's a grapevine. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, overcome. You who are spiritual and are pastoring the church, you got to be a paid official because... I ain't going to get involved because I'm, I'm super spiritual. Nope. Who's spiritual? Those walking in the Spirit, under the influence of the Spirit, what should you do? Ignore or restore? Restore. And that means to set a broken bone, which is tough. It, it, it's, I had a daughter of mine, Rebecca one time did a flip, was at one of her birthday parties, broke her arm in two places, and I took her to Richmond Kaiser. We're there. It was a long wait in ER. Finally, I said, we can't set it here. You've got to take her to Oakland. And I get her to Oakland. I mean, this is three, four hours later. Got this little girl with two broken places in her arm. And then when the guy comes in, he said, we don't have enough staff. You'll have to hold her. Let's set this bone. <laughs> Puts it in play. Hold her. The poor girl. I said, who wants to set bone? And this word restores, set the bone. Set the bone and the spiritual, those that are walking in the spirit should do this, right? 
I ask you, if you were in sin or if you messed up bad, who in this church do you consider spiritual enough to restore you? If we were a biblical church, everybody you know in this church would qualify. If we were a spirit-filled church, why can't we all do this? Don't you want to see people heal? Too convicting. I'll look at the text. But he said, do this in an attitude of arrogance. Oh, I love that. You're supposed to catch the mistranslations. I'm trying to wake up the non-Starbucks crowd. Uh, gently. You know, I said, no, 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 no. No, no, no. And this word gently is meekness with kindness. Mildness is the word. Jesus said, I'll make you meek. What's, you know what's wrong with the right folks? They come off a little brutal. We've got truth and we want you to know it. And I want to set that bone so quick I can't tell you. Boom. I said, oh, man. I told a guy that wanted to be a pastor, I said, you know, until you change your countenance, I'm scared. I can't imagine somebody coming to you for help. Have that kind of, I got the truth. Oh, oh man, I know you keep it. I'm going to some, I'm going to a quasi-liberal that's nice. Said it gently. I care about bedside manners when I go to a doctor. I don't want him to be gruff with me. I don't want to lecture and don't tell me some word I can't define. I'm not paying him to be belittled. I'm paying to be cared for. And saints are supposed to be God's care unit. And if a brother's overcome, wow, there'd be a bunch of saints here to help set that bone. Hallelujah. They start healing. They get over it. So the church becomes a safe place to fail. It becomes a safe place to fail. You get help, right? Instead of saying, I ain't getting involved. Because I, hmm, I know, because you're carnal, and we don't know if you're saved. We know the love of God's not working in you. Couldn't be, because you couldn't ignore their pain. He goes on, carry each other's burdens, for in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Man, I want to keep going, but I can't. Let's take an offering. Let's calm this meeting down. Come on, let's take an offering. And you write out your questions and answers. I don't know if I have the answers. You write the questions. Drop it in the offering. Don't make this the substitute for your offering. We would like a little offering too. And, and then uh, the ushers are going to bring all the question cards you turn in on this subject and give them to David, and we'll go through as many as we can. Our Father, we're so thankful for your word. It tells us not only about the cross, but how the church is to function and how we are to not be consumed with petty issues without uh, divine resolutions. I pray that uh, you'll bless our Q&A session. Pray that you'll bless our time of prayer when we conclude in singing. I pray bless our offerings as we're coming to the summer. Uh, a lot of people go on vacation. A lot of people uh, forget the church then. But all of our kids' activities are just cranking up. We spend more money probably in the summer than any other time because we're underwriting a bunch of kids. We want to keep them off the street. We don't want them just sitting around watching TV. We want our youth pastors to get their hands on them and share the Word of God and try to shape them for eternity. Bless our offerings. Let us abound as a church. Don't let money keep us from reaching people. Let money abound to the glory of God, Father. We're not selling girls and we're not selling drugs and we're not selling the gospel, but we want to give because we love Christ and love the gospel. Teach every stingy person in this church to give and to be set free from covetousness and greed, which is idolatry. May Christ be treated as master when it comes to the offering. They were giving to a majestic Lord, not just to a fallible bunch of church saints. We're giving to you, Christ. Bless this offering for your glory and your honor. Amen. All right. Um, let me start here. What is spiritual restoration? 
How is the church supposed to properly restore a brother or sister? Well, let's first of all ask the question, who is the church? Is who? Who is the body of Christ? I'm waiting for you to say me. Is the church me? Everyone that is a born-again, Bible-believing Christian is in the church. Or you can get a Roman Catholic system where the layman can't do anything. You've got to go through a hierarchy of priests, and we've got to get up higher to get it. Are we the church, and Christ is the Lord, and he legislates us by his word? So how many of you have a Bible? Okay. And if you're born again, you're the church, number one, okay? Not the pastors. We're just members of the church, aren't we? And some of you want to put us out, but uh, we're just members of the body. I'm just a hell-deserving sinner and got in just like you came through Christ, right? But we love to punt the ball. Who will restore? Galatians says anyone that's spiritual. Now, if you stay in the non-spiritual category, you're the one that needs to be restored because you're obviously sucking your thumb and doing your sin and not growing because you're not healthy enough to restore anybody. If you can't restore, that means you've got a plank in your eye. Something's wrong. Now, if you won't restore, guess what? You just got an absence of love. That's an okay sin in the church. You don't have to love. Just don't sleep with the wrong woman. See, we're used to all this stuff. I can walk down the Jericho Road and I need not pay attention to a man that's beat up. Leave him there. That's not my calling. I'm rushing off to a Bible study. Somebody... I think it was Charles Ryrie said, if you take care of sheep, you've got to wade through a lot of manure. And that's where a lot of people don't like church life. They don't want to get dirty getting people well. i got a woman in this church uh, that's a biblical counselor that when my granddaughter was in sin and lots of problems, now walking with the Lord, trying to do things right. But when she was out there, this woman in gentleness took the word, my granddaughter will always love her for speaking into her life about her sin and how to get back. Every one of us, that's the first step. If everybody in here was commissioned, don't get in trouble with the Lord or God will burden me to help you and I'm willing. Take the word. If I was going to give you, I didn't go into the steps of confession. Here's things that take place in restoration. You confess your sin if you're in sin. Uh, You repent, change your mind about it. Uh, you make reconciliation with the people you offended. Uh, you go back to biblical behavior. You, you start walking right. Uh, I think you make uh, uh, restitution. Uh, we forgive you for stealing the $1,000, but you owe us $1,000. Pay it back. Pastor, I just robbed a bank. Uh, if I am con- uh, continually being sanctified because God is continually dealing with my sin... How will I know when I could be considered plank free? (laughs) Well, I have to say this. You're always in process. There are some sins we hope you deal with immediately. You know, when we say, uh, uh, I've still got a besetting sin, by extreme, is that robbing banks? Is that adultery? Uh, uh, is that some outrageous? Some things have got to immediately stop. You just stop in the power of Christ. And then it's a lifelong process of conformity. And so none of us are without sin. But as he keeps dealing with you, he'll remove. Uh, I mean, if you're still a racist, how long is it going to take? You're chauvinist. You only see women as lust objects and brainless. When are you going to get over it? 
Yeah, I mean, you got to correct that now. But our lack of love, I find as you grow in Christ, it's the things I don't do that are my greatest sins. Not what I do. I should have wrote the letter. I should have done the deed. Uh, there's so much every day I got to say, God, I've been intending to for so long. I haven't done that deed. I, what about any of you? Like when you have a clean day, no sins of omission. I've been down here at the bay by myself all day. I got away from wife, children, dogs. I've been sinless. What have you done for me? I've only bragged that I'm holy. And guess what? Even on, if you obeyed all of the law of God in any one day, you still will not have a righteousness good enough to have God's approval unless you're resting in the righteousness of Christ alone. Because even when you're blameless before the law, Philippians 3, you still lack the righteousness of God. And you can only find it. So our total acceptance is Christ, but there will always be something you're in process. But big issues. I mean, how long does it take to quit cussing? I mean, I, I hear some people, I still cuss. How long have you been saved? Oh, 10 years. I'm working. Uh, or another one, tithing. I, I just, uh, I'm still praying about it. That's your problem. You're still disobedient. No wonder your face looks like sour grapes. You're in sin all the time. Settle it. Settle it. So you get down to the little, little issues. Some big ones you need to land quick. And say, why haven't I landed? Well, enough. Um, so if a dispute is brought up within the church, what if, our, what if one party doesn't like the verdict? and then doesn't do go through with the resolution. And we've had that happen. Sometimes uh, they've been disciplined. Sometimes uh, nothing really happened, and we've just seen them go down, go down. Because where there's a refusal for restitution, uh, you, you just spent, you spell the end of the Christian life. Because now you've got a log jam and the spirit is quenched. You didn't submit to church authority. They really have every right to be put out. I have to admit, there's been times we, didn't fall, we weren't that severe. But I've seen those people, they went down anyway. Because divine discipline, they never were restored. I'll go on. Uh, my girlfriend's family is very sinful, especially her mom. Why not? Mother-in-law to be. How should I handle this? Tell her family everything? She claims to be Catholic and doesn't attend church, I believe uh, I should break up with her. What should I do? Probably break up with her. There's your answer. If you believe you should, do it. If in doubt, don't. Romans 14. Whatsoever is not a faith is sin. If in doubt, don't. See, I don't know that most Catholics are following the Word of God. Don't mean to go after a group, but if she's not a born-again believer who's put her life under the... Don't say anything to her mother. It's none of your business. This is in the church, not who you're dating or people going to another church or whatever. No, this is primarily within the fellowship you're in because they've got to be under the same authority, the rules of the word. And so I would leave the family alone, but you might have that bigger issue. Do I want to form a yoke with a gal that doesn't run her life according to the word? Then I would see you dating an unbeliever. And why don't you obey the word and not be yoking up with an unbeliever? 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 7, 1. Do not, what fellowship does darkness have with light? What fellowship does Belial have with Christ? How can two unequal things be yoked together? Sin. Don't. Don't, young man. Don't. Does that, that ought to be enough. Flee. And pray for God to give you a gal that's born again and loves the word, assuming you're that kind of person. Right now, you could be in sin yourself if you don't get away because you don't need to be dating an unbeliever or else you'll start acting like an unbeliever. Well, uh, what if you're worried about pushing people, pushing people away when you confront them, however gently? Well, I don't know that you have a guarantee. Some of us are still healing. Uh, 
every patient isn't easy. Because if they're in sin, when you're in sin, you get pretty miserable. You, get, you could be, uh, so if they're in sin, they, they could tell you it's none of your business. Get out. They won't start applauding that you came to them. They may see it. But your spirit and your attitude is to be one of not arresting them, but I take a doctor model, not that you're arresting them. Uh, two, sometimes, uh, sometimes are you not the one to perform the restoration? I assume you're saying the pastor. Oh, yes. Join me some week. Love to let you set through them. Scare the daylights out of you, but that's what pastoring. See, as a preacher, what's my favorite book to preach? Thank you. Why? Because it's theology, salvation, uh, the themes of the Reformation, justification, election. I do not tear Romans 9 out of the Bible. I believe Romans 9. Uh, I, I love it. But even today, I thought, why do you teach 1 Corinthians 6 to a present congregation? Where's Christ in 1 Corinthians 6? Why do this? What eats up the church are these issues. It's not Christ and the cross. That's, that's the feast that's when I want to burst up here and you think I'm hemorrhaging in the pulpit because this is what I die for, the doctrines of Romans. What can kill you and me is 1 Corinthians 8. Sleeping with prostitutes, suing one another, and churchmen acting like pagans and running the church. So he addresses it after he lays the foundation of Christ crucified. So our faith is in Christ crucified, and we deal with the messes. I have to do it all the time. That's the difference between a, being an armchair theologian and being an entrenched pastor. I don't get to hide from the issues. For 39 years, I've dealt with everything from child abuse to pornography to drugs to adultery. The stuff you don't need, I deal with it, and some of these people are here, and they look squeaky clean. You weren't there in the mess of their life. I saw the gospel change them, turn them around, and restore. I know it works. I've seen it. Um, oh, okay. All right. David's clarifying. Is there some time when I might not be the person to do the restoring? Maybe that you wouldn't think they respect you, I'm assuming, or I'm just, well, uh, that's uh, really a tough call. Now, if you just can't stand each other before and you feel led to restore the person you most cannot stand and they know that, that'd be a little rough. They would think you have a personal vendetta, right? So, say, well, I don't like them anyway and uh, they better never get a plank problem. I'm not going to help them. The body ideally is characterized whether we like everybody. Now, I want to say a statement. Don't take this wrong. I'm not called to like all you people. But I am commanded to love you. There's a difference. I married who I like. There's a lot of women I wouldn't like to be my wife. But I've got to love them like sisters, right? And my sister, Ruth and I, fought all the time. So I, I, I have an affinity towards those kind of women. Boom. But I love my sister Ruth. I really do, but we used to fight all the time. I'd pull her hair. Oh, boy, we had some fights. I could do that with Hazel because she'd box the fire out of us. She was older. She was mean. She was in charge. Uh, but, you know, so we're assuming that you're loving. Now, you think, what if they're a stranger, total stranger? The issue would how would you see the plank? How would you know? There'd have to be enough closeness, I would think, to see a real problem. You know, I don't want to lose this, but I want to say this and, and be sure this doesn't go out on the radio. Who would be the right person to tell me my pants are unzipped? Someone said, whoever's in front of me. I hope it's no woman. <laughs> so you have to be, I hope it's a man, please. And please wait until you get me in front of the whole church to do it. Couldn't you get me and say, Pastor, you got a problem? 
I mean, okay. My mother always checked my dad before he went to church. He always forgot. And he'd get his pants cut and his socks like this. Man, I just, hey, Lawrence, I hear it right now. Lawrence, look at your pants. Did you zip up your pants? I said, Mom, what's going on? I mean, you know, when you get old, dementia sets in. And, and, and so I think uh, if you've got any contact and, and there's a favorable relationship, because if it's a strained relationship, I sure wouldn't recommend it. 